With Leap Legal Software, you can manage your firm and track productivity from any location. Leap's cloud-based practice management solution gives you the freedom to remain agile and run your firm from wherever you are. Combining matter management, document automation and legal accounting in one solution, you can stay on top of all aspects of your firm. Successful law firms are agile. To learn more, visit leap.com.au forward slash agile. This is a Momentum Media production. Welcome to the Lawyers Weekly Show for an in-depth look at the issues facing the legal profession. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lawyers Weekly Show. I'm Jerome Dorasami recording uh, while Sydney is still in lockdown or actually most of Australia is still in lockdown, I should say. That's very Sydney-centric of me. But in any event, uh, a lot of us are still in lockdown and so that's why I'm recording from my living room table rather than from the Lawyers Weekly Studio. Today, I'm joined by James Dapachi, who is a special counsel at Chamberlain's Law Firm. Uh, and he's also the owner and host of the Coffee and a Case Note brand, which uh, as we were just talking off air, is much more than just a podcast. And I'm keen to hear a little bit more about uh, about what is entailed with that. James, welcome to the show. Jerome, thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, I realise it's never really been put to me. I'm a host of Coffee in a Case Note. And I was like, well, and I'm even struggling now to stitch it together. I guess the short point is Coffee and a Case Note is a username I use on YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. LinkedIn from time to time, a number of different places around the internet to sort of use the contemporary internet to try to market my practice as a commercial litigator here in Sydney. Well, I was always very jealous of that name from the time I first saw it. So, you know, I thought that's the name I want for a lawyer's podcast, although I'm a tea drinker, not a coffee drinker. So you know, I haven't <laughs> thought of anything yet that uh, it makes for a nice alliteration with a cup of tea. I will accept the compliment, although Jerome, IP lawyers in the house will note that it's very descriptive. It is just saying what it is. And so, you know, for the initial little phase there, I was a little bit jumpy that, uh, that things weren't going to go well. And I've had a couple of little IP little scraps with uh, some other people who've been interested in using a similar title. And so I've become more attached to it over time, but it's, it's a compliment I'll, I'll accept with gratitude, Jerome. Well, well, I like that it does what it says on the tin. So <laughs> now, now J- James, we're going to be talking today about why the internet uh, and the online realm more broadly is not simply the realm of you know the quote unquote new law practitioner. It can still very much be the realm of those who might fall more into the uh, traditional modes of practice basket, uh, including yourself uh, as someone who does operate you know with uh, time billing, for example, which you know some new age practitioners are looking to move away from. So, you know, it'll be good to hear a little bit more about, you know, how, how you individually utilize the online sphere, you know, in the course of your practice and separate to it and why, you know, the way you do things, you know, might mean that it's more accessible and attainable for everyone, as opposed to completely rethinking how you do things, uh, you know, with your professional branding and then ultimately with your legal service delivery. So James, let's start by talking a little bit about yourself. You work for Chamberlain's as a special counsel, as I noted. Tell us a bit bit about your career today. Yeah, um, admitted about a decade and a half ago, worked at a number of different firms. I worked in Newcastle for a time. I worked in a suburban Sydney firm for a time. I worked at a firm called Makinson Dapache that has a very uh, startlingly similar surname to mine until 2020. That was a very happy time. 
and then spoke with my new friends at Chamberlain's in about 2020 and came here last year. I'm a sort of corporate and commercial litigator. I sort of do disputes. If the Corporations Act and the Supreme Court and sometimes the federal court is involved, I tend to get involved as well, which means I'm good friends with our insolvency team. Basically, I've got a, you know, a couple of senior associates who help out and four or five juniors who help out and some paralegals who help out. And we do some corporate and commercial disputes and tend to have a, a reasonably good time and you know, a moderate level of success doing it. So through that thread has been, for me, the, the question of like, all right, if I have an ambition to try to run a legal practice, how am I going to attract people into, <laughs> into doing that? And so as part of that from quite early I'd been attracted to the idea of, you know, writing a blog post or giving a paper or giving a talk. And and from even sort of a year or two into my career, being interested to be one of the people whose names is on the firm newsletter and, and this sort of thing. And the more time passed, the more ingrained the view became that law firms think publishing case notes on their website is good. So apparently people like case notes and the contemporary form of the internet tends to like videos wouldn't it be funny if we could somehow try to combine the law firm's appreciation for case notes with the contemporary internet's apparent appreciation of videos? And um, I'm not someone who particularly enjoys watching videos online, ironically, but from that thought process was born a project where now from time to time, I try to summarize a case in my practice area in the most approachable, but also rigorous way I can. So I tend to say the court said a bit too much, which actually doesn't, which, which sort of I'm a bit embarrassed about and I need to find a new phrase, but I try to hop on and explain moderately complex corporate disputes. I try to say weekly-ish, I think it's probably fortnightly-ish these days and use that as a source of brand, as you and I discussed uh, earlier, to then bring new clients into my practice and uh, do some good work for them. So, uh, look, it's been fun so far, another few decades to go, and, uh, and we'll see how we go. Oh, that's a sobering thought, isn't it? Another few <laughs> decades to go. So, so tell me, aside from you know, looking to utilise video to you know, sort of build your client base, do you find that there's another target demographic with those videos? Uh, you know, I'm just thinking you know, with the platform TikTok, for example, which is obviously you know, catered to you know, a much younger audience and they consume content that way. Are you finding that there's a lot of law students and grads who are drawn to the case notes you're doing because it's a much more palatable way for them to consume the critical information they need to pass their subjects. Yes, is the short point. Um, the longer point is it also tends to sort of refine your skill set. So, look, I'm on my feet from time to time as an advocate and you want to deliver your point as clearly and concisely as you can. And it's pretty interesting trying to get 700 paragraphs into 15 seconds. And if you can manage to do that with some regularity, and I don't know a lot about the brain, but I do know a lot about practicing things being useful. Um, if, if there's a, a way to market your practice that helps you to, to do these summaries, then it's of assistance. I should say about the goals on TikTok, it is a really interesting point you raise in that it has been a reasonable source of, of new client work. And interestingly enough, these are clients who often come in who are what we might call qualified. They'll come in and be like, yeah, yeah, 10 grand in trust. Yeah, 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 big ugly shareholders dispute, let's go. Because they've been involved with me for 12 months, 18 months, and they've been seeing TikToks pop up in their feed. And I've become a trusted person due to that presence. But 
Jerome, the reason your question is such an insightful one is that the other sort of relationships you build when you're trying to build a practice is, well, who's coming along for the ride with me? Who are going to be members of the team that I'm going to try to build? And the answer to that increasingly appears to be people with whom I've been able to form a relationship, often on TikTok because of the age issue. And of course, with all social media, the age issue is changing. And, and I think the average TikTok user is now 43 years old or some number that you know makes all of us feel past it. And uh, like, we've got to go find the new thing. But I think the opportunity to speak to the up and coming professionals who are earlier on their journey is one of the huge pluses of TikTok. And so when I turn my phone around to go, hey, we've got a job, here's the email address for HR, we see real purchase with posts like that. So that's a genuine and significant part of the TikTok strategy as well as the client building element. We're chatting with James Dapache and we'll be back with more right after this. James, one thing that's really curious to me uh, about your use of video and, you know, utilizing obviously a very modern medium uh, in order to, you know, not only garner more more work, you know, with clients, but also look to engage the younger generation of lawyers coming through the ranks is that you would still classify yourself as a more sort of, you know, quote unquote, traditional practicing lawyer, you know, not utilizing some of the new law methodologies, for example, with how to build clients. And I suppose, you know, one question I had was, you know, how do you reconcile the two Mm. being some who does you know engage in these you know new ways of operating but simultaneously holds on to some of the other older practices i guess yeah i mean hey how do you find that balance i do my best yeah you're so right our office has crappy old carpet square carpet tiles rather than beautiful polished floorboards or anything like that i'm a timesheet person i'm a cufflinks and tie and braces person when i'm in the office so it's a fairly traditional looking practice And the way I reconcile what you and I might call a fairly traditional practice or hashtag old law, perhaps sort of practice with a reasonably contemporary approach to branding and market building, the way I think about it is that the time I spend slash invest engaging with people who are on Twitter or or who comment on recent TikToks is the opportunity cost of not going to a networking event and standing there for two hours, glancing at your name tag saying, oh, Jerome, lovely to meet you. How are things going at Jerome Industries? Great to meet you. And then taking your business card and sending you an email the next day. And it is the business building time, the networking time, the marketing time that would be otherwise spent on what you and I might call more traditional things like networking events that I've chosen to invest in an approach using the internet. And I think just to expand on that slightly, the thing that I'm proudest of and the thing that I would recommend to other quote, quote, traditional practitioners who might be sitting on the edge of a project like this is the opportunity for leverage. If I'm spending 45 minutes at a networking drinks, talking to Blogsy and potentially getting Blogsy's work, but potentially not, then that's 45 minutes I've invested into a relationship with Blogsy and that's fine and appropriate. If I apply 45 minutes of effort to turning a case that I've read into a LinkedIn post, a TikTok, a YouTube video, a podcast episode available in 11 different places, a written summary, an image that can be shared on Instagram and which can then have an infinite life. Well, you know, for, for so long as for so long as it's relevant to me, it'll continue to exist. Then 
that leverage question is answered in a way that's really satisfactory to me. And so I'm not here shooting anyone to say you should stop going to networking events and should start recording videos. But one of the great pieces of satisfaction I take is that leverage question that the time I invest in reading a case, understanding it and condensing my thoughts helps me be a better lawyer, but I can also leverage that time spend to be a practice building exercise as well. And that, and that efficiency and leverage brings me great satisfaction. Do you think that use of the online sphere and you know, really leveraging uh, social media for one's personal and professional branding has been, for lack of a better term, co-opted uh, by those, uh, you know, utilizing some of these uh, new law methodologies so that, uh, you know, those who are operating in a more traditional fashion, such as yourself, are seemingly unable to utilize, uh, you know, some of these realms uh, in order to, you know, brand themselves, brand their businesses. And obviously, you know, there's some, you know, brilliant practitioners whom we're both connected with that are that are doing it very well in the online sphere, like Anna Lazinski, Lucy Dickens, Theo Capodistrius, Cassandra Heilbronn, all of whom I would say, at least uh, at face value, would uh, more towards the kind of new law sphere, as opposed to the traditional law one. Has there been a co-opting uh, by by practitioners who, who are leaning more towards new law and leaving those uh, traditional practitioners behind? It's an interesting one, isn't it? That, that traditional practitioners would be attracted to more traditional ways of marketing their practice. So I suppose <laughs> there's a degree to which the point proves itself. I think the answer to your question is, is yes, that if you are a practitioner who is more open and willing to think in a more open-minded way about the way you run your business, that you're probably inclined to think in a more open-minded way about the way you market your business, essentially. And so the degree of co-opting, I think, is an interesting question. I almost place the responsibility more at the feet of practitioners like me because it is us who say, oh, you know, what does that partner who has 30 years experience think if he's going to see my face like sipping on a cup of coffee in some cafe? So it's almost more an expression of, the insecurity that we as quote, quote, traditional practitioners have rather than being pushed out by the quote, quote, progressive practitioners who might have a more open-minded approach to these things. And I guess if I could spin that into a prod or a suggestion, the view I take is that there's no reason to fear the views of the pale male stale establishment that might cause traditional practitioners like, like me a little bit of a worry depending on your personality type and degree of seniority, I've been blessed slash cursed with a personality that's a sort of uh, do the thing and ask forgiveness rather than ask permission beforehand sort of personality. And I'm reasonably confrontational and assertive in the way I do things. So anytime there's been an argument about it, it's one I've been very happy to have. And so I completely accept that that's not everyone's personality type, but I think there is something to be said for a quote, quote, traditional practitioner reflecting on whether the excellent work they've done in distilling a really complex point in an advice they've done for a client or in preparing an external seminar, perhaps for an institutional referrer and really getting on top of a crunchy concept. I think there is a genuine question that says, having done that hard work, there is something lost or to turn it to a question, is there not something lost in that excellent hard work you've done in getting to that advice, not being shared in a way that can bring value to others and potentially shared in a way that leads you to get more similar work in future. And the answer I have is, is there not, or was that a, a negative? The answer I have is, yeah, you should share it. <laughs> and there's value in doing it. 
And so I would gently prod anyone who's reflecting on taking an approach like this, regardless of how, quote, quote, traditional their environs are, to think carefully about doing it. What do you think might be some of the easier ways that one could start to, you know, wade into that kind of territory? You know, I suppose not everybody's going to be comfortable overnight producing video content, for example. But, you know, are there sort of simpler steps right off the bat that, that um, those, those, say, traditional, more traditional uh, practitioners could take in order to improve their branding without necessarily, you know, rethinking their entire practice methodology? Yes, is a short point. Um, there are. And I think the shortest version, there are sort of two alternatives that can be linked, which is either LinkedIn or your firm's blog. I promise your firm is desperate for content on your blog. <laughs> I promise the marketing team would be delighted to get one blog post every six weeks of high quality from you listening that, you know, nails little SEO targets and brings more users to the firm. So that's one soft option. And A sort of corollary to that is the post on LinkedIn that is you saying, hello, I've just done a blog post about subject X. Here is a link to it. Mm. And that is one of the softest entries I find. A similar but different approach is to use LinkedIn solely and to initially build your confidence just by liking and commenting on stuff. So if you are waiting in line for your coffee and you're able to like a post from Jerome and say, hey, Jerome, that's very interesting because of issue X, thanks for sharing, then that of itself is publishing. That of itself is you taking a tiny little step out into the water. And if you can leave one comment and three likes per week, let's say, just to make up a target, then you'll be gradually building your confidence and gradually building your comfort with using these platforms. And then there'll come a time where the AFR has an article about something relevant to you. And you might just say, you know, hello, everyone. Blogsy raises an an interesting issue in this piece. My view is that it's worth being very careful about blah. Cheers. And you might get three likes from that. And one of them might be a mum, one of them might be a brother, and one of them might be an interesting referral source for you to develop over time. So there's a very drip, 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 drip approach. And I would encourage anyone thinking about taking that sort of drip approach to start those drips Um, but also to not judge oneself too harshly for going slowly because it is a bit scary (laughs) and it does feel a bit weird and it does feel very much like you're doing outlier stuff when you turn your phone around to record videos. So taking those baby steps, the blog post for the firm or messing about on LinkedIn, Twitter I also think is a reasonably good opportunity to maybe just retreat a couple of things or maybe just say, hey, did you know the decision of blah has come out? And to follow a couple of lawyers and engage in a couple of conversations and just sort of gently step out into the space there. They'd be my three. Firm blog, LinkedIn gentle engagement and Twitter gentle engagement. I really like those initial steps you've outlined. And I've got some questions for next steps that lawyers could do as well, which I'll get to on the other side of this. Calling out to all female lawyers, the Women in Law Awards is taking nominations for 2021. These awards are the benchmark for excellence, recognising the outstanding achievements from exceptional women over the past year. Pay tribute to all the women who are influencing change and being a role model for future female leaders in Australian law. Do you know the perfect candidate? Take the first step and nominate them today. Visit womeninlaw.com.au for more information. 
James, listening to you outline those initial steps that the traditional practitioners can take, I mean, all, all, all of which are fantastic, sort of led me to think of uh, some of the secondary steps that they could then look to implement. And one thing I was thinking was, you know, starting to wade into commentary uh, that might, you know, get a bit of a debate started on LinkedIn. So, you know, there's a lot of lawyers that I follow on LinkedIn and Instagram uh, who will, you know, talk about, you know, moving away from time-based billing, for example, you know, why, why fixed pricing or value-based pricing is the way of the future and uh, anyone who's not doing this is going to be left behind. But is there a place for someone, you know, such as yourself, of course, to wade in and say, well, this is why time-based billing is actually still, you know, what we need to be doing. (laughs) I say this values-based billing, Jerome, and, you know, an hour of my time's worth, that's the value of an hour of my time. Well, of course, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, but I suppose, you know, the point being, you know, to, you know, establish yourself as a thought leader, you know, to really champion why you practice in the way that you do you know, without feeling the need to, yeah, like I said, upend, you know, how you've been operating for your entire career? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I don't consider myself a reactionary and I certainly don't consider myself conservative in any, uh, whether uppercase or lowercase C in any way. And I certainly would consider myself progressive in, in most areas of everything. And that sort of gives me the scope that I'm not here to backseat drive anyone else's practice but I'm not going to be particularly impressed if someone tries to backseat drive mine. <laughs> so there's very much a live and let live for me. And what I've actually found is that conversations like those and Finn Bowd, who's a friend of mine, who's been a previous guest of yours, Jerome, always has fantastic insights on how the legal profession works. And I find there's actually value in having your own settled views. And I've got a number of settled views challenged from time to time that there may well be a value billing matter that comes in tomorrow that I go, "Mm, actually, this is probably a good candidate for that, or that may never happen, but I will at least have been exposed to the idea that the ways I have got myself set in are open to challenge. And I think it is not so much the practices we have, it is the opened or closed mindedness to new ideas that is the real problem. And I consider myself very open-minded but I'm just yet to find a better way to run my particular practice than the one I've currently sort of inherited from, you know, decades and decades of, um, of lawyers doing the previous thing. Do you think that, you know, in the age of coronavirus and, you know, in the looming post-pandemic world, that it'll be, you know, not only easier for lawyers of all stripes to, you know, engage, you know, more frequently, more effectively in the online realms, but not only will it be easier, it'll be more incumbent upon them to do so, given that workforces are going to be more scattered, clients are going to be harder to reach face-to-face for a multitude of reasons, and therefore, you know, being able to effectively transition online, you know, while still retaining, you know, some of the principles that you adhere to, is that incumbent upon everyone? The short answer is yes-ish. I mean, you've got to go where your clients are or you're going to get left behind. I'm very comfortable saying that. That said, I think there really is a role for face-to-face, hand-to-hand combat. And there are, I mean, we say clients, they're all just people. There are people who would prefer to sit opposite them you know, sit opposite someone and have a beer, have a glass of wine, have a coffee, have a meal in order to form a relationship. And I'm now up to my seventh or eighth Zoom drinks for this second phase of the pandemic and sitting alone in my home office, drinking wine while looking at a screen is, I don't think the future of how we're going to form relationships in this profession. So there's a degree where I think it's easy for 
people like me to go, oh, the internet is everything. The internet's the future. And I think it is more important to be a little more nuanced in our thinking to say, look, yeah, great. There will be some people who run big city businesses from orange and the only way you're going to catch up with them or be important to them is to make sure your Instagram feed looks great. That's completely true. But I think that we need to be diversified in our portfolio of sources of work. I mean, I will, when the pandemic's over, there are people I need to catch up with for a beer in order to ensure that, you know, I've got referrals running from them. And I think if we get too extreme one way or the other, we risk losing an opportunity to serve those people who we seek to serve. So I guess I'm measured. I'm, I'm measured in my agreement with the suggestion. <laughs> no, fair enough. Um, it's the coward's position. That's <laughs> a politician's answer. Um, James, separate to all the professional benefits uh, mm. that you've alluded to from you know improving one's online branding, what are some of the personal benefits that you've gleaned from it? And has it given you new perspective on on being a lawyer? You know, when you jump out of bed in the morning, you know, do you have a greater sense of you know the importance of your sense of service? Yeah, well, how do you feel about it all on a personal level? Extremely positive, and partly that's my personality because when people say negative things which is often comments about my appearance and comments that I look like the, um, I've forgotten his name, the fat Harvey Specter, you know, the scene, um, the, um, the show Suits. So I, I get the, uh, you the, look, fat, the fat Harvey Specter. I get you it. look bloody lovely, mate. <laughs> I'll take it, Jerome. It looked a sweatshirt. It was a present for my mum. So I'll, uh, I'll, pass, I'll pass her regards on. But because I've got a bit of a combative personality that I'm the, I'm the type to get into it, if anyone wants to say something like that, I think I've been insulated due to just, that gift slash curse of, of my inherent nature of, of some of the challenges of social media. So aside from that, I found it to be a profound gift. And, and, and look, you get work referred in, which is very nice. And I get paid for the work I do, which is very nice. And there's a satisfaction in a job well done. But some of the more profound pleasures I've found are when you get a message on Instagram from a mum who says, hey, I'm a single mum. My daughter's in year nine and she's really smart and we watch all your case notes together and try to decide what the court's going to say at the end because we pause it three quarters of the way through. I mean, that's actually really quite moving. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and it's a really nice feeling, Jerome. Or you get ones from law students who are like, hey, I was going to drop out, but you've like reinvigorated my enthusiasm for the law. That's deeply, deeply fulfilling. And so, yes, is the short point. And I guess the extension is I'm happy to sit here and relate nice anecdotes like that all day, but I'd be more happy to spin it into encouragement for someone else to say it is not merely replacing catching up for coffee with spamming someone's inbox because you've just uploaded a new blog post. It can also be a way of you turning towards the market, which is to say turning towards people who you can help, sending them out some information that is helpful to them and hoping that you are helpful to them in their day-to-day life. And there's something really positive and engaging and also empowering is the second point in that, that I feel like if I fail as a professional, however I want to judge it, it's a result of my failure. And if I succeed as a professional, however I want to judge it, it's a result of my success, meaning that for so long as I'm checking the huge number of privileges I, I bring to every interaction I bring, because of the you know white male cisgendered heteronormative reasonably well educated sort of entity that I am, I bring a huge number of privileges to interactions, and so for so long as I check those privileges, I've found that 
I'm left with the feeling that that I'm in control of my professional life and in control of how I serve the people I want to serve and help the people I want to help. It's great, Jerome. <laughs> Everyone should do uh, it. <laughs> uh, I, I do enjoy how you articulate your argument. Um, <laughs> just before we wrap up, I want to know if you have any other pearls of wisdom you wanted to offer, you know, in, in guiding the more traditional practitioners as to, uh, you know, the utilities of such professional branding in the new normal. I think it's worth it is about as far as I can take it that if you're sort of mulling around, oh yeah, I'm a senior associate. Oh yeah. There's that partner down the hall who doesn't really talk to me. And what if they said, and mm, uh, mm, mm, mm. it is very easy to get in your head. And I completely accept that and respect that. And so I think the furthest I could take it is say it's worth it. And that does not mean you need to turn your phone around and do eight minutes on the latest decision from Justice Black about Section 236 of the Corporations Act. Hmm. What you can do instead is like or comment on a couple of statuses on LinkedIn that are relevant to your interest. And very, very slowly, drip, 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 build your confidence just a little bit, take a bit more control and start helping the people who you want to help. I love that. James Dapache, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thanks, Jerome. It was a great time. And thank you to the listener for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts as it'll help other lawyers discover and enjoy this show. And if you've got ideas for other episodes we can run, please get in touch with us at editor at lawyersweekly.com.au. You can also reach us on social media. See you again next time. What did you dream of becoming when you were young? Education is the key to turning dreams into reality. But right now, one in five children in sub-Saharan Africa are missing out. At So They Can, we work with communities in Tanzania and Kenya to break the poverty cycle through education so children can reach for their dreams. Help us empower the next generation of lawyers, teachers, farmers and entrepreneurs by joining us on our mission today. Visit so they can.org forward slash dreams to learn more.